On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. And we're back with Keep It. I have a breaking tweet to read. Oh, wow. You're like Deborah Norville on Inside Edition. Let us in. So mad that I work with big comedians now. Like, I can't tweet, I want to give Kumail Nanjiani a rim job anymore. It could get back to him. Now, who would tweet something like that? Oh, blow my back out. He has big, sick energy. Whoever tweeted that is a visionary and a monster. (laughs) Visionary is what you would say. Visionary. Listen, he has a new body. Yes. Because he is in Marvel's Eternals, and the internet has been wild. And Aida maintained a steady level of wild, but aimed it at Kumail. Quite literally ravenous for that man now. And the weirdest part about it is I watched The Big Sick again the night before he posted the photo. So I came into work and I was like, God, Kumail's so hot. And I hadn't seen the photo at all. I was just talking about him and his pudgier state in The Big Sick. So for him to have posted that, it just, you know, it just reaffirms the fact that I loved that man from the beginning and I don't care what he looks like, but whoa. So you willed it into existence, sort of. I feel like I did. Yeah. And don't look at me. You called his bot. What did you Breaking. call Breaking. <laughs> New tweet. Just came in. Oh, okay. Come gutters, now called Silicon Valleys. Guys, it's a cute tweet by me, okay? Love that. Among cum tweets, it's quaint. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Uh, my favorite thing about whenever an actor reveals a hot new body, mm-hmm. two things happen. One, everyone gets horny on Twitter. Right. <laughs> two. Which, which, is, which is disgusting in a way. You don't want those people horny a lot of the time. But Never. worse... Woke Twitter jumps on board and says, now, don't objectify this man. Shut up. Everyone deserves a turn at objectification. <laughs> I am still waiting. Also, Pick me. Kamel's never, like, he's been a stand-up comic, and he's he's never been, like, a figure for sexiness. Well, I've always thought he was really hot. but But he's never been, like, publicly attractive. And now let him have his moment. Listen, he would not have been posting these photos if he didn't want it. Yes. Okay? A thirsty shirtless. <laughs> no, I mean, how rare is it that there's a male stand-up comic who you know, is muscle-bound. I mean, just or, right. like, hot or whatever. So, I mean, I'll allow the, yeah, this the, Venn diagram to expand. John Cena. Oh, oh, my favorite comic, yes. He's hilarious. I would describe him as kind of funny and given a lot of credit. Well, he He's funnier take, than you expect. Well, he can take my credit. Right. Meanwhile, my FICO score, he can have it. Okay, weird. <laughs> Meanwhile, there some somebody in this racket who people would also cite uh, I feel like a lot of people are like, Megan Fox is not funny. It's just men who say she's funny. No, Megan Fox is funny. That's confusing. She's very funny and she's very attractive. Yeah, see? Right. Both. Yeah. Both. I also saw some people worrying online, which was a bit offensive too, and as annoying as the woke people, that now that he's hot, he was going to pull a Chris Pratt and leave his wife, Emily Vigo. Oh, that would Jesus never Christ. happen. That would never happen. First of all, 
there were a lot of factors that went into Chris Pratt running away from Anna Ferris, and I feel like Kumail isn't secretly a conservative Christian who's going to erect a cross in his yard. Yeah, yeah, I don't feel that. I don't feel that way. They've either. handled their religious differences. We they've saw had, it in the basic, right? And also, they've made a film together. They just seem more together than a Hollywood couple than Chris Pratt and Anna seem. And they're working on Little America right now. Yeah, they got so. a TV show, so they are contractually locked in. Anna and Chris didn't have a show. Can I have a prediction about Kumail Nanjiani? I think he'll host the Oscars in the next five years. I feel like he has no trajectory but to go and host way more top-tier award shows. I mean, that's who else is going to do it? It has to be him. True, although he is now in the Marvelverse, so what if he just shifts into action hero? Which, yeah, by man. the way, I'm always thinking about things like this. Every actor that you respect, comedian, whatever, gets roped into these things. I'm telling you we're going to lose Timmy Chalamet in a couple of take years. Take him. Take him. Oh, Aida. He do just not needs a little bit of muscle. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> that waif of a boy. He could have yeah. a little something on him. Look, some men yeah, need you to watch- be shaped like a okay. picks. Like parasites. She likes white meat, but she wants the drumstick. Oh my gosh. If anything, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet's all breast. <laughs> if anything. Uh, some other breaking news. To quote Matt Rogers and Bowen Yang, there is too much culture. Oh God. <laughs> too much culture happening. If, if this counts as culture, sorry, everybody. I'm talking about Mariah Carey's number one. Oh, that is culture. Never mind. That's culture. Her 19th number one single. What a... Uh, it's crazy so we're obviously talking about All I Want for Christmas is You which came out 25 years ago mm-hmm. it's her 19th number one hit it is notable by the way that for a lot of years on the Billboard Hot 100 holiday singles were not allowed on the chart that was mm-hmm. like relegated yeah. to another list so I mean it, obviously I'm really thrilled for Mariah whatever but she I probably think... would have had it back then correct they were allowed yeah but it's been creeping up there every year slowly but surely as a lamb I am so excited please also she, also, she is somebody who clearly enjoys announcing she has a number one hit oh and that yes. she gets number one hits. So I mean, I'm happy for her. Now back to the number one Billboard Hot 100 single, which is not easy to get. Not everybody has that. <laughs> Ira is quoting Mariah um, defending herself on an episode of American Idol against a, shall we say, contentious Nicki Minaj. I also love that this gives her a number one in three decades. Right. And she could have it in four decades if it lasts number one through the first week of January. Which it probably won't, wow. right? Because those things tend to fall January. off. January. True, Actually, but but I like what I... else is out? And that's a good question. But by the way, you know what else is in? Post Malone is probably preparing a single. I know. Billie Eilish is shaking in her oversized <laughs> boots. Lizzo is like, you released a song from 94. We can go that far back. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting though. 19, I think that means that, okay, so the Beatles have 20 number one hits and she has 19 now. So I think that we as a group need to band together, find like an old deep cut and make it number one so that she can keep rising because I know Sis is not going to release anything Breakdown? Yeah. Oh, Breakdown for sure. Let's get a remix of The Roof going. Yes. Yes. Okay. By the way, make it happen. The Unplugged version version every time. Let's yes. get that going. That never got to number one? Isn't that messed yeah, up? Yeah, that is wild. wild. I love oh, that song. because it, it didn't pop until she did Unplugged. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I love that song. I mean, just that whole There's era. so many hits. Can we get Glitter to number one? I, I, I think Sky's the Limit, frankly. Yeah. All right. We have a great episode for you today. Travel Anderson will be joining us later. He is a friend of the pod. He's been here before. He will be joining us for a conversation on... LGBTQ media. Is it dead? 
How magnanimous of us to invite people who are smarter than us. Yeah. What are mm-hmm. we thinking? It will make us look bad, ultimately. Mm-hmm. We're also going to talk about Hallmark saying, get the fag off the TV. <laughs> I'm not watching that. <laughs> Dumbasses. And also, the Hollywood Critic Association has named Kristen Stewart the actress of the decade. Oh, goodness. We'll be right back. Twenty twenty is nigh. We are days away from a year that will decide who we are as a country. Republicans want to suppress votes to ensure they get to make that decision. We cannot let that happen. The final vote will be extremely close. That's why we've partnered with Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight to make sure every vote we need to win will count at the ballot. Thanks to you, we are now only four hundred and five thousand away from hitting our goal of two million for Fair Fight. With the money you've helped raise so far, Fair Fight has put teams in states like Michigan. Florida, and in Kentucky, where it helped restore 180,000 voters to the rolls. The governor's race was decided by only 5,000 votes. If all of you listening were to donate just $10 right now, Stacy would be able to put a voter protection team like the one in Kentucky in every battleground state next year. You hear that? We have a lot of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> this is truly the most important thing we can do right now to help make sure we win in 2020. So make sure this is the last thing you do in 2019. Go to votesaveamerica.com slash fair fight. I think I'm going to have to send a strongly worded letter to my Hallmark queen, Danica McKellar. Oh, God. What did she do? To be honest, she is not my Hallmark queen. I only know she's in Hallmark movies because of Knives Out. Right. Though she is. That was a fair joke on their part. Though, wait, did we discover that they were saying Lifetime movies and they meant Hallmark movies? I feel like they screwed something up in that movie. I think maybe they meant Lifetime movies because they were talking about a movie that involved Murder? Right. Wait, yeah. which scene is this? Who made this joke? In Knives Out, yeah. they refer the n- to Danica McKellar being in these Hallmark mm-hmm. movies, but they do it in reference to... Lifetime movies. Melodramatic movies. Okay. Which is yeah. not okay. the Hallmark brand, really. Hallmark movies are a chaste kiss between a Caucasian man and woman in the third act <laughs> and a black friend that says, you go, girl, Jesus would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen again after that. They like run off screen. Yeah. Yes. But over the weekend, Hallmark came under fire for removing four commercials that depicted a same sex wedding after One Million Moms, an organization with 4,400 Twitter followers, pressured the network to pull the ads. After the backlash online, the commercials were reinstated and the network has apologized. However, as actress Hillary Burton pointed out on Twitter this week, this is not the first time the Hallmark Channel has stifled attempts at diversifying their network. First of all, Christmas is the gayest holiday in the world. Right. Like, why is this even a situation? Well, to me, to me now, it is the gayest holiday. But I just, ugh, Hallmark sucks. My favorite euphemism for gayness is Christmassy. Like, doesn't he seem a little Christmassy, Christmassy to you? Oh, yeah. Mm. You know? Doesn't he seem like he's eating cookies under the tree? If you will. Mm-hmm. I've heard that one. That bastard seems like a lord of leaping, if you know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> Golden cock ring? Sorry. Go ahead. Just keep going. You took it to the Aida place, <laughs> yeah, which sorry. I appreciate. But 
Zola's campaign began airing December 2nd on Hallmark, and each commercial featured a couple at the altar questioning if their wedding would have been more successful had they used Zola, which... <laughs> Can we talk about how weird that commercial yeah, is in the first what is, place? What? Who designed this ad? This is a stupid time to be regretting and reminiscing about what they should have done. I know we're supposed to be dragging Hallmark, but I have some <laughs> comments for Zola. <laughs> the ad itself is bad. Yeah. Yeah. So you think maybe One Million Moms was just trying to justify using their old methods, but it was really just a taste issue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was, it was a proper critique. <laughs> <laughs> they were on point. <laughs> they're not homophobic. They're just like all ad marketing majors, and they're like, this will not pass. <laughs> I want to specifically talk about Zola, though, because they are a wedding planning company, and you can host your um, site on Zola.com, too. My lesbian sister is using Zola okay. for her marriage in March, where I'm going to be forced to go to Tampa in Florida. We're <laughs> oh, not I see Tampa for you. Yeah, we're not talking about it. Uh, I have always had a slight not problem with Zola, but I've always had a, huh, kombucha lady um, mm. eyebrow raise. Uh-huh. Uh, a, a Christian Alfonso from Days of Our Lives eyebrow raise, if you will, to the fact that their commercials are an interracial paradise. Oh, are yeah. they? I have never seen a black couple or a Latinx couple or an Asian couple together in a Zola ad, mm-hmm. but I always see white couples and interracial couples. Like white and black? Yes. Okay. Wait, is but there always a white person? There's always a white couple. Oh, okay. Because yeah. things like that in TV... Well, that's a normal marriage, in yes. T- you're right. Yeah. In TV, you get to see white couples, and then for, especially for queer couples, it's always, here's this white woman and her Asian girlfriend, or yeah. here's the white woman and her black girlfriend. That's weird. And of course, it's gendered in that way. Or yeah. if I see things, it's always like, here's a white woman and her black man. And I'm mm. like, oh, child, here we go. And like the inner black woman in me comes out. Right. It's And it just seems like they've always had those interracial uh, specific ads. I've always seen them on Instagram. And yeah. I've always been like, okay, is there a black couple there? Mm-hmm. You know, it just seems like they were specifically marketing towards a certain brand. And I get it. You want to market to black people, but they weren't going that extra leap, right? Mm -hmm. And it was making only the white couple seem normalized. Mm -hmm. And now you have this silly little ad (laughs) where a couple is interrupting their wedding to say, hey, maybe we should have used Zola. Well, Zola would have taught you not to interrupt at the wedding. So maybe they actually should have. But, um... To get back to One Million Moms, it's probably noteworthy to bring up that One Million Moms at this point is most famous for being the people that got mad when Ellen signed a deal with JCPenney. Mm-hmm. Which, I guys, mean, if, has any human being been more JCPenney than Ellen DeGeneres? Please let yeah, the branding I don't understand. be. Yes. I would love to relegate her to JCPenney. Right. Trap her in it? Yeah. Like a mannequin style? Yes. Okay. Um, and also, of course, we need to get back to the fact that One Million Moms is just. I think the biggest lie name of all time, we, did, or we brought up how they only have 4,400 Twitter followers. It's like if I called this podcast several dozen bitches. <laughs> I see three. Instead of just three bitches, like what it is called. Right, yeah. exactly. That would be fair and journalistic. <laughs> exactly. Also, I went to the One Million Moms website to see you know, how they've updated their feelings in recent years. Have you heard any more 80s Tipper Gore shit in your life than this? Uh, 
As a member of a group of one million moms all fighting together, your voice can have a powerful impact. Money is the name of the game for those who exploit, and they are exploiting our children for their financial gain. Just imagine the influence you can have by joining with one million other moms. This is also notable at the beginning. They say, we are searching for one million moms who are willing to join the fight for our children. Then you're not one million moms. You just Mm. said it. I heard you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we brought up this person last week you know that Catherine Zeta-Jones and Rock of Ages it's mm-hmm. totally that vibe of just and they get into a, a whole thing about indecency which of course has no actual definition mm-hmm. so it's crazy that Hallmark would cave to people who are so transparently one stupid and two not what they say they are right I feel like we've been dealing with these heifers forever mm-hmm. for one so I feel like we had already gotten to the point where we knew one million moms was fraudulent. Yes. Uh, I, during the Ellen fiasco, and every time they've gotten mad about something, the final twist has always been, hey, there aren't actually one million moms here. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that they caved in the first place and then caved again once they realized that, oh, maybe the people who actually watch Hallmark movies are queer people mm-hmm. yeah yeah and also by the way you would know this soaps have been gentrified by queer people for a hundred thousand years now yes yeah. and people of color yeah it, it's always been wild to me watching soap operas with only white families on them because i came up you know with days of our lives yes but also my family largely watched young and the restless which had the most black people on it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know victoria Rao. you know it had boris kajo uh and looking at it as a kid, I would always see those black stories happening. And so I know so many other black people who watch soap operas mm-hmm. and watch these kinds of movies, right? These made-for-TV movies, and they're never represented. Yeah. And when they cave to, like, Million Moms, it was just funny because I, you know those people aren't even fucking watching yeah. Hallmark yeah. that much. Also, I, my conspiracy theory is that Hallmark semi-star Candace Cameron Bure is secretly behind this. Mm-hmm. And they just like put it out on One Million Moms because, yes. you know, it just seems easy. Her, I feel like, watches Hallmark 24-7 or has an assistant watching to note things that she is upset with. I mean, like, if anybody's ever said, get the fag off the TV, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there it is. There's a couple things that irritate me about this. The first thing is, imagine a young child, a straight young Christian boy or Christian girl, I guess, because it's a lesbian couple, right? That the In the Zola ad that they were like, ugh, too. And imagine, like, a young Christian woman being like, oh, well, now that I see that those women are getting married, I'm going to now turn gay. Like, I don't know what they think happens in the minds of young children. One, I hated that. Two, this, I hate any organization that's goal is to find the negative in society and then just stop it, like harp on it. They don't do anything good for society. They don't really add. They don't have any programs that benefit young children or whatever they're trying to do as moms. It's just like, we want the world to look exactly the way we want the world to look. Yeah. I hate any organization that makes me agree with Ellen and Mayor Pete. I know. Don't <laughs> don't push me this way. I love Zola's chief marketing officer's statement. Uh, Mike Chi said, all kisses, couples, and marriages are equal celebrations of love, and we will no longer be advertising on Hallmark. All kisses. I have never been more revolted in my life. <laughs> I think what I'm finding out is that a Hallmark and Zola equally disgust me. Yeah. 
<laughs> Let's just cancel everything about this. Is One Million Moms secretly 30-year-old dudes in, in their parents' basements? We would not know. It's There's no faces. Culture. It's Chris Pratt and Catherine Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> can we start One Million Gays and we can do our Mariah Carey 20th and 21st single yes. agenda? We can do. We can just get Zola canceled in general. Get the fag off my timeline. I'm not retweeting that. (laughs) Yeah. You're getting into the holiday spirit. (laughs) Another component to this is in a series of tweets on Sunday, actress Hillary Burton, Peyton from One Tree Hill, Mm. Sophia Bush's co-star, claimed that she was let go from a job with the network after her contract demanded inclusivity, and the inclusivity was not met. She tweeted, just going through some old emails from a Hallmark job. At least they have email. Yes. Love that she kept them. Yes. That's a petty sis. I love that. Yeah, she had to dig up Hallmark at AOL.com. <laughs> and she says she was let go from back in January. I had insisted on an LGBTQ character, an interracial couple, and diverse casting. I was polite, direct, and professional. But after the execs gave their notes on the script and none of my requests were honored, I was told, take it or leave it. I left it. And the paycheck. Shitty being penalized for standing up for inclusivity. I really wanted that job. It was close to my house. It paid really well. It was about the military, which you all know I hold dear. I'm so confused about how I feel about this. I've been loudly cheering for Lifetime all year because they heard my concerns and rallied. You want inclusive Christmas magic? We got it. Love is love. Rainbow flag, Christmas tree emoji, heart emoji, hashtag receipts. I love that little rebus she throw in at the end Mm -hmm. there. That was such a journey and is something I would completely expect for someone who served up drama on One Tree Hill. Mm -hmm. Maybe my critique is about the word deer, which is just... (laughs) It's it's too familial and oozy. It's it's too saccharine. You hate deer, it's, right? It's why you love watching Bambi. That's oh yeah, shoot that Thumper? bitch. Yeah, shoot that bitch. <laughs> Flower. That's my stinky girl. Uh, I do appreciate Hillary dragging them though, and also I mean being very transparent about it. Yeah, yeah. That's being exciting. like, listen, I wanted the job. Uh, I, it was close to my house. That's why I take any job. To be honest. Uh, so I agree with her. And as, a, as somebody who has two jobs that are close to my house, I totally agree. Yes. <laughs> and then pointing out that Lifetime is better at what they do. We have to stand. I love pitting those two against each other. It should be more formal. Yeah. So I think the moral of the story is one million moms still sucking after all these years. If they continue to exist in any form. Again, we don't know who it is, but okay. Mm-hmm. I want to find out who's in one million moms. I want that investigation next. We should just join. Yeah. We should join and see what happens. I really do think they'll take anybody. Yeah. It's just like when a real housewife has never actually been married. We can join One Million Moms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say the One Million's already a lie. Let's make the moms a part of lie, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When we're back, we'll join Travel Anderson for a conversation on the state of LGBTQ media. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. 
It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. (laughs) Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with Travel V. Anderson. <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you? With a pretty I'm... slick Morehouse College hoodie. That's what I do. Always representing. And the oh, nails look oh. great, too. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. Um... What else can we explain about your look to home viewers <laughs> so they can experience this with us? <laughs> <laughs> um, welcome back to Crooked. Thanks for having me. Yes, you've been on Keep It before. Mm-hmm. You had your own Crooked pod. I did. Yes, and... 
what is the tea now? <laughs> <laughs> well, now I am jobless. <laughs> um, Talk you know, about it. <laughs> Out Magazine laid off uh, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess Out Magazine didn't lay off a lot of people. Pride Media laid off mm-hmm. a lot of people. Which owns Out and Advocate. And The Advocate and mm-hmm. Pride.com and HIV Plus Mag and Chill Mag mm-hmm. and all these other ones that nobody has ever heard of. Um, and long story short, you know, there's been kind of a history of like financial mismanagement since we started about a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, It was kind of a major deal because Zach Stafford and Philip Picardi came from their kind of like new upstart companies to come lead these Mm -hmm. uh, legacy LGBT media brands and we were promised a lot of things in terms of resources that didn't manifest themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then earlier this year, we had the whole situation where Out Magazine wasn't paying freelancers and contractors, mm-hmm. dating back up to like two or three years for some people. I don't know why they continued working, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Philip Picardi had uh, threatened to quit at that time. Yes, about that. there were rumors that he had threatened to quit at that time. Um, and then they, you know, got everything together seemingly, and paid the people that needed to be paid. But in order to do that, we did some layoffs, and we all had to take a pay cut, an 8% pay cut. Um, The staff had to take an 8% pay cut, and then people above me took higher pay cuts, Mm -hmm. uh, including the CEO at that time, Nathan Coyle. He then quit um, randomly um, that nobody was expecting. Then the CFO or COO, whatever his job was, he was promoted to interim CEO. That's Orlando Reese. And then, you know... What we thought was improvements happening weren't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we started doing some planning for 2020. And then we're told, you know, that budgets were being cut. We were being cut from when we started, we were supposed to be 10 issues. Then they made us eight issues this year. And then they told us that next year we would be six issues. Um, and then they laid me off. How much of the last year then has been anxiety inducing for you? Um, all of it. Um, I mean, I think we've done some really amazing work in spite of the foolishness that we had to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, the team, which is like the most diverse team in Out's history, our executive editor was Raquel Willis, a black trans woman, you know, leading us and leading kind of the editorial vision aside from Philip. Um, but we've always kind of had that haunting in the back. Like, we haven't used freelancers since March. Um, and so you have this very small staff both running the print publication as well as the digital. Um, And, you know, when we weren't hired to do all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a lot of us just taking on extra responsibilities just to make sure the publication came out. Um, And because we care about our jobs and we care about coverage of the community, you know, we put our all into it. Yes. uh, Talking just about the state of LGBTQ plus media in general, it, these came after, you know, Grindr had shuttered into, Mm -hmm. uh, and which was, Coincidental because that's where Zach Stafford came from right. before he joined Advocate. And, you know, there were places like After Ellen and just other things just sort of shuddering earlier in mm-hmm. 2019. And it felt like out and it felt like Advocate were going to be, you know, sort of a new story. Yeah. And out was doing print issues mm-hmm. um, and they looked gorgeous and right. they were fantastic. I covers. was going to say, I think Philip McCarty did a really good job of getting you excited per issue about mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, however, um, it seemed like the writing was on the wall from the beginning, Uh, just working with Pride Media in general, unfortunately. Unfortunately. I mean, I think the main thing, like, I started in November, everyone else started in um, late October, Um, and then I think 
we were using some freelancers, and then in January, shortly after Sundance, is when we began to get news mm-hmm. that, like, I all wrote a these piece for the debut. Right. Um, that's when we started getting news that a lot of freelancers had not been paid. Um, previous freelancers prior mm-hmm. to us getting there, and then yeah. in addition to the freelancers mm-hmm. that we were working with. And so the entire year that we were there was kind of peppered with, you know, <laughs> this foolishness. Yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, a lot of the unpaid freelancers, to let people know, were from. Out Magazine, their previous incarnation. Yes. Uh, so everyone who joined the new Out Magazine, unfortunately, because the company that owned Out had not paid freelancers for years, had to deal with that and weren't really able to start a new magazine. Unfortunately, right? But like you mentioned, you know, this whole kind of state of queer media, you know, one thing I like to say is that it started prior to this Out Magazine and the Advocate situation. Um, You mentioned after Ellen, Autostrado has been, you know, peppered with financial issues for the longest. Um, But it's not just LGBTQ media, it's also any type of niche media. Mm -hmm. We've seen the issues happening with the black press, you know, Mm -hmm. for the last couple years and different magazines shuttering because of ultimately financial mismanagement at the top. Even mainstream. Yeah. You know, um, you've had places, you know, um, at Condé Nast even mm-hmm. shuttered over the years um, and people going down to smaller staff. So what is something that we can really even do at a time like this? Because it's, it's not just queer media. Yeah. It seems like media in general is, you know, going through it. I think one of the things <laughs> that I often advocate for is, you know, subscribing to the publications that you like mm-hmm. um, or the publications that hire and work with people that you like. Um, it's it's a small thing, but ultimately a lot of these smaller independent publications are still mainly supported by their subscriber base. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that money's not coming in, then we have to be over-reliant on advertisers or sponsored content or whatever, you know, other kind of digital stuff mm-hmm. that comes in. Um, and then additionally, it's it's, you know, reading these stories. Like mm-hmm. clicking on the story and reading it, not just tweeting it out or mm-hmm. retweeting it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those types of numbers help us build our traffic and then we're able to have, you know, different and better conversations with those advertisers. But on the whole, I think it's it's ultimately a conversation that like the consumers have to decide what they want to happen mm-hmm. with these publications, whether it's an ebony or an essence or a jet or whether it's a advocate or or out. Um, if you care about having dedicated publications to focus on your community in a robust, nuanced way, then you need to support them. Mm-hmm. So it's been some time since the layoff now, but the issues were going down. The pay cuts were happening. Mm-hmm. At this point, are you thinking, oh, my job is in jeopardy? Yes. I mean, so my position, I was the director of culture and entertainment, mm-hmm. and it was a new position created for me. And so I always thought in the back of my head, if shit hits the fan, you know, they're going to get rid of me because they were putting out this magazine without this position before. Um, But we had always kind of evaded, you know, this conversation about layoffs. And part of that was the pay cuts. Um, And, you know, and then we had other people in the Pride Media brand got laid off before. Um, And then ultimately we had a lot of people who had a lot greater sense than I to leave um, Mm -hmm. before they got laid off. Um, And so we had a lot of our people who joined us initially in November of last year, you know, they're at Vice now or they're working for MTV now or, you know, these other publications because they were smarter to leave before. Um... But we never hired people in their place. And so a lot of our thinking was that, oh, we're freeing up money, mm-hmm. you know, because and we weren't allowed to hire people in their place, to be clear. And so we're like, oh, we're freeing up money 
that should mean that things are getting better. Um, but then last Thursday, um, or Thursday before last, I was in New York. We were doing the cover shoot for our February issue, um, and we got a call that we were, you know, discontinuing use of the three or four digital freelancers that we were using to help us with .com over the last few months. Um, and that was kind of a very sudden thing after they told us that we, they told us some foolishness about, like, we had done so well the entire year that we didn't need to hit traffic goals for December. And we were like, girl, what? That don't make no sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the rules don't apply to us suddenly. You know, it just doesn't make no sense. Um, and so then they had us cut the freelancers back because um, we have four that were working on different days throughout the week and one working on the week. And they had us cut them back and had them all work during the week, 10 hours each. And then Thursday came around. Um, and I'm literally on shoot. Uh, on the set um, shooting and I get a call that we're no longer working with freelancers and so I think that was the sign and it was like oh shit's hitting the fan a lot quicker than we thought Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know I got an email Tuesday saying are you free for a meeting on Wednesday and I was like why why would I why would I need to meet with you on Wednesday (laughs) why why would I do that Um, and then you know that when I got that email I was like oh I'm gone you know Mm -hmm. The vexing thing is these publications exist because we don't get a certain kind of coverage in mainstream media. And then uh, these magazines, whatever, then have to act like a mainstream publication and succeed like one. So it's Mm -hmm. like be you have to you have to be one thing and then not be that thing. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a kind of a paradox, you know, and you would think and hope that queer media, black press would be able to do some things differently, but ultimately you're still competing against the LA Times, the New York Times, right. et cetera, the New York magazines um, of the world because a lot of times these days, if they're even more competition because the advertisers, they look at, oh, if the New York Times now has a gender reporter and they're covering LGBTQ community, I can just put my advertising there and get it all, get the straights and the gays, as opposed to just, like, focusing on the gays, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it becomes an issue because now you have to, like, deal with how do you kind of create a value proposition for a specifically queer community. Um, and a lot of the advertisers, to be quite frank, don't really see that, even for queer-specific products. You I know? mean, they see it in June, um, yes? Well, very that, yeah. you know? <laughs> very that. Um, but then outside of June, um, or even if you have, like, for example, a movie like Rocket Man, or, you know, something that is ex- expressly queer, there's always, you know, some type of jockeying that, you know, our ads team had to do in order to get, you know, these advertisers to say, yes, we want to, you know, buy with you. And if we can circle back to what you were saying about consumers before, I know that one thing that is always an issue with queer media trying to get audiences, right? Mm -hmm. Um, People will drag them on social media when they have to do what we call thirst posts, right? You know, it's like this hot queer celebrity is doing this and that. Or this hot straight celebrity is doing this. Right, Right. and it's, you're clicking on it and that's how you're getting people to tune in uh, and that's how you're getting the clicks that you need for advertisers so that people can read the other content and I feel like that's also a constant push and pull because it feels like people are taking queer media 
seriously or they think that queer media isn't taking it yeah, a lot of our, seriously. A lot of our most trafficked stories are the the story about somebody's butt or the yeah. story about yeah. somebody's bulge or, you know, a gallery of 25 half-naked men in a calendar or some foolishness like that. There's a reason Nick Jonas was on every queer cover. Listen, uh, okay? Right. For the past decade. And, and, like, that's what people click on. That's what people are interested in. That's what they share. And so, like, those are the types of things that we, we have to do. What we tried to do was balance that with some good reporting mm-hmm. and some interesting stories. But, again, if if that's all you're clicking on, what is the, the importance for us, right, to give you these deeply reported stories if you don't fucking care? What we really should have is just Nick Jonas quarterly. He's there we are. Yeah. Himself. Yeah. With just Harvey new, Milk too. Yes, Nick new, Jonas. New, <laughs> new exclusive photos of Nick every yes. quarter with some reporting. Listen, we'll take it. Take what you can get, right? What are your favorite things as a reader you get from queer media? Like when you pick mm-hmm. up a magazine and read it, what is specifically different from, you know, what you would read about uh, uh, queer culture in a in a mainstream newspaper that you love? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the greatest things that I loved about working at Out as compared to when I work at the LA Times is I always had to do these explanatory commas. I always had to explain queerness or blackness to this quote-unquote broader audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're at Out, you don't really have to do that, right? You, you, you believe that the people that are reading have a base level understanding of what such and such is, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're able to just like do the story without having to kind of unnecessarily explain or welcome somebody into yeah. the Carly Rae Jepsen was born in Canada. Yes, the, right. <laughs> the right. whole backstory. Right, and yeah. it's like a lot of times that's not necessary, but in a lot of the mainstream outlets, they 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 want everyone to feel included in the story. So I think that's one of the things that I love most about reading queer queer press, black press. It's like you know a lot of things are just assumed because because you know them because of the the world and. and and the society that you've grown up in. It reminds me a little bit of having, and stop me if I've brought up this metaphor before, when I got a gay doctor, which is to say, like, mm-hmm. you just the, the conversations feel much more inclusive to you. You feel way more seen. And mm-hmm. um, it, 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 it just, it's like, objectively, a doctor's job is to give you, you know, information that's available to everybody. And, like, you know, you, you should feel 100% visible to, you know, your physician. But you don't. You yeah. know, if it's not somebody who has lived that experience, if you're a queer person. Yeah, I can't tell you how many, like, stories we've written on, like, anal sex. And, you know, it's one of those things that, like, LA Times would never let me write anything about anal sex. And if they did, I would have to interview 12 different doctors about the process and da-da-da-da-da. And at Out Magazine, it's just like, listen, we're we're speaking from experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have, a, you know, we, we know what we're doing. Um, we've lived life a little. Um, and that it really, I think, just allows people to feel seen. And it allows people to, like, not feel like they have to explain themselves or have themselves explained back to themselves when they're reading something. If I can jump ahead a bit into going into 2020, Mm -hmm. um, it feels especially troubling that we won't have a queer media, you know, sort of covering Pete Buttigieg. You know, Mm -hmm. he's running for president. Uh, He's a gay candidate in the primaries. And it's sort of a big deal. And I remember earlier in the year... uh, Pete got into it a bit with queer media. You know, he, he talked about uh, how he didn't read queer media because he felt that they were constantly sort of nitpicking his gay cred. How did you feel about that situation when it happened? And how do you think we go forward with properly reporting on Pete? Um, because I feel like the way that the mainstream media will continue to cover him mm-hmm. is different from how 
out an advocate attempted to. Yeah, I mean, I think when it all happened, I think we all were like, fuck my drag, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Very that. Um, and, and Pete was actually one of our cover stars for Pride Month in June. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did, we did like a... a a then, a now, and a future cover. And he mm-hmm. was like the future cover. But the story written by Heron Walker was like a critique. And it was like, you know, did we do all of this fight in the LGBTQ rights movement for people to judge to be our president? You know, the first yeah. you know gay president. Um, and a, we got a lot of slack for that story because mm-hmm. it wasn't, it didn't fit into the narrative that the mainstream media had created around him. Um, and we were, you know, taking a critical eye at him. Not necessarily because of how he shows up as a gay man, but like, mm-hmm. what does how he show up as a gay man mean for how he will show up for the rest of the community, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think ultimately... Him saying as, you know, one of the most most prominent gay folks in politics at the time that he doesn't read queer media, I think is a shot. But I think it's also kind of representative of a lot of folks in the community who don't read queer media mm-hmm. because they feel like they see themselves represented in the mainstream and they feel like they don't need to. Or they feel like they're some sort of exceptional gay to where, you know, talking about RuPaul's drag race is beneath them or mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. that. And so, I mean, I just hope that people realize that, like— there's still a need for queer media. And while, yes, we have kind of the low-hanging fruit of the naked men and the butts and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. um, we also are necessary for the the perspective and the vantage point of critique that we can bring to all of these things, whether it's politics, whether it's pop culture, whether it's the economy. We've we've had some really, really interesting stories in Out Magazine and on Out.com that you're not seeing anywhere mm-hmm. else. And that's because we have... LGBTQ people of all stripes writing those particular... Well, not anymore. They're all laid off. But (laughs) we had those people doing those types of stories. I want to say, in particular, I am done with um, queer press being maligned for critiquing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. People to judge, it's like... I mean, to come at it from like a spiritual, shall we say, Marion Williamson place, like, critique is a loving act. You know what I mean? It's like, even if you don't love him... it. It, like it's such a benefit to have uh, a conversation around him and to expand that conversation and you know think about like first of all like me why I'm like a gay white Midwesterner like what I'm not thinking about when I look at Pete Buttigieg when mm-hmm. I see him on TV you know mm-hmm. or even the fact that the critiques about him that are in the mainstream media are about how he connects with black voters, yes. And then there's just an assumption that because he is a gay man that he can necessarily connect with gay voters. Mm -hmm. But it ignores the fact that if he's not connecting with black voters, then maybe he's not connected with black Gay, gay voters, yeah. exactly. Trans voters. I've never I mean, seen that done at the same time before, black yeah. and gay. So I can't, <laughs> I can't confirm. Uh, you know, and maybe if he's not in tune with what that particular community needs, mm-hmm. he's not in tune with what the queer communities in right. that community need. Exactly. And that's just a leap that no one ever seems to be able to make. Because that's just too much. Yes. You also <laughs> still have, right? You know, full disclosure. You still have like a lot of, you know, cis folks at these mainstream news outlets who don't have the life experience, who don't have the community around them to begin thinking in such an intersectional way. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that goes to a broader question about just, like, newsroom diversity at all um, or overall. But, you know, it's it's all a shit show. But, like you said, what you were saying, Lewis, reminds me of a quote that James Baldwin has. And he says, like, I I critique America because I love her or something something Mm -hmm. like that, right? And it's like, that's what queer media, black media is able to do um, when it comes to a lot of these people who, you know, they get, you know, 
kind of the benefit of the doubt from the mainstream press because of the newness of, of their presence. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about your future, and I'm, I'm sure you are too. Mm-hmm. You but, listen, um, <laughs> so just to gauge your temperature on this, I mean, do you see this experience with Out Magazine as something that's separate from you know your future and your career path, or are you going to end up somewhere like in LA Times again, maybe feeling frustrated about not getting to write about queerness in the ways that you're used to? So when I left the LA Times, a lot of people was like, girl, what are you doing? Like, Mm -hmm. why would you leave the L.A. Times, Mm -hmm. you know? And then then I was covering, you know, Hollywood and entertainment. So, like, why would you leave the L.A. Times with all this immense access and resources to go to this gay publication? You're going to be pigeonholed, all this other stuff. Um, But ultimately, I think, you know, the same work that I was doing at the L.A. Times covering black and queer Hollywood is the type of stuff that I was trying to do at Out Magazine. Out had a history of, you know, not seeing folks like myself in their pages. And I wanted to bring some of those narratives, you know, to the page. I think ultimately for me going forward... I would love to be at a place that gives me the resources to do the type of storytelling that I want to do. Whether that's queer media, whether that's black media, whether it's mainstream, I don't know. You know, whoever wants to come knock on my door, come on and <laughs> knock and we can have a conversation. Um, but ultimately, I think it's about having the resources. And what we know is that the industry overall just doesn't have the resources in the way that it does. And very few of those publications, primarily the mainstream ones, actually have those resources. The question becomes, are they willing to give it those resources to a black, queer, and gender non-conforming, you know, journalist, Mm -hmm. right? Or are they going to give it to that white man who they feel is going to be able to do the type of storytelling that they're, you know, most interested in? Um, And so, so I don't know. Um, I got a text message today from someone asking me how I was doing, and I was like, girl, I'm still jobless. (laughs) Um, It's only been, what, four or five days or something like that, but um, I am interested in an industry where folks are able to tell the stories they want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if there's a rich person out there who wants to give me money to start my own publication, you know, <laughs> that's fine, too. I'll take it. Um, Which but, isn't a pie in the sky, by the way, because you think not. about how much conservative <laughs> media is funded by Ooh. billionaires with agendas, mm-hmm. yes? And then mm-hmm. you have on our side um, billionaires who... Just yeah, the Washington for president. Post. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that too. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, uh, Bloomberg. Listen. Spend some money on something else. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, a lot of the stories you've written will exist in some form on the internet. Is there any you want to direct specific attention to that people can look back at and be like, well, thank God we had this fucking year of Pride Media? Um, you know, I think for many of us on the out team, one of the issues that we were most proud of was our, our March issue, which is our women and femmes issue. It was the first time in the history of the publication that only women and non-binary femme-identified folks worked on the publication, from writers to editors to photographers to stylists to everything and so all of the cis identified men um, you know didn't do anything for that issue and it was it was really major it was guest edited by Janet Mock we had Tourmaline and Miss Major on the cover it was really um, amazing to see what a queer publication can do when it puts its focus on women and non-binary femme identified folks so I would tell people to check that out Um, and then ultimately I think you know our Out 100 issue just came out um, on Stan's Friday. Um, and so, you know, check that out. I wrote the cover story on Young M.A. She was the first LGBTQ rapper to be on our cover. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a great year. Um, we've done amazing things with the bullshit that we've had to deal with. Um, and I look forward to what the team that's still there does going forward. Great. Thank you so much for being here, Travel. Thanks for having me. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. 
It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. On Monday, the Hollywood Critics Association named Kristen Stewart Actress of the Decade. She is certainly an actor, and she did act this decade. This, it, <laughs> in a tweet, the HCA stated, We at the HCA are proud to announce that Kristen Stewart will receive the Actress of the Decade Award at our ceremony on January 9th, 2020. Stewart's impressive filmography includes Seaberg, Personal Shopper, Clouds of Sils Maria, The Runaways, and Charlie's Angels. Hashtag Kristen Stewart. Responding to a tweet that said the honor should have been given to Viola Davis, the HCA said, This tweet proves the point that there are always multiple people who deserve an award. Lupita had 10 films, Margot had 17, Emma had 18, Amy had 16, and Kristen had 21. Each of these actresses are incredibly talented and are all ideal candidates for this award. They will more than likely be awarded in future ceremonies. Okay. When they first announced Kristen Stewart was actress of the decade, I think they should have specified they meant, oh, she's just been in a lot of movies in the decade. Right. Yeah, I didn't know this meant this was like a gauge. It was a quantity thing. <laughs> Charlie's Angel should have canceled out every movie she's ever done. We we weren't talking about the quality of the film, the acting, the actual performance. Mm-hmm. We were just counting. You're giving, you're giving an award for for most gigs. First of all, you actually just blew my mind when you said how many movies Margot Robbie has been in. I thought, I mean, I, I remember her from, oh. if that's the Margot you were referring to. Yeah. I remember her in, first in Wolf of Wall Street, but for her to be in that many movies since that is really Well, she was zany. in, um, is it Focus with Will Smith? Wow. Do you remember that film? Yes. I loved that movie. Which is more forgotten, that movie or the Focus single by Ariana Grande? Wait, how does that go? Well, I am constantly focus. talking about focus. <laughs> focus on me. Focus. Oh, oh, yeah. I love that song. That I was a good song. It. Not a hit. Super strange. Um, I guess Runaways did come out 2010, January. However, we're talking about these other movies, and I just really want to get into the weeds of why so many people were like, why, when it came to Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. It's not that I even am one of those people who thinks she's a horrible actress. I think she's a quite capable actress, and I'm not dragging her because of the Twilight movies. I just want to point out that she was not in a lot of great movies. Correct. And she wasn't great in a lot of them because they were bad. Like, are we talking about American Ultra here? 
Yeah, American Ultra, I would say she was pretty good in it, but that movie to me overall like fizzles out. Like you get the premise mm-hmm. of it early on, the the you know, the romance sort of grafted onto this caper. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, and you brought up Clouds of Sils Maria, which is a movie starring Juliet Binoche and Kristen Stewart, in which they are both fabulous. Um, and then, of, but then of course, Chloe Grace Moretz is in it, and you have to gulp a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, you're right; I'm not like a Kristen Stewart hater, and she, she, I find she's somebody you end up defending a lot to people mm-hmm. who are who basically are ambivalent about actresses altogether, and like call her, you know, the way that people used to be obsessed with Kira Knightley not being good in the Pirates of the Caribbean mm-hmm. movies, and then Kira Knightley's amazing in all these other movies, and you have to tell men who would never see the movie Colette to see the movie Colette, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh, Actress of the Decade is crazy just because, okay, I'm not saying Oscars are the rule of the land, but it's like she never was even nominated for an Oscar, nor was she ever really up for one. No, and I will say that on the flip side that the Kristen Stewart hive that has accumulated over the years, um, I will assume mainly of lesbians, uh, goes really overboard with trying to claim how influential she is mm-hmm. as an actress. Yeah, she seems cool. I love interviews with her. I feel like mm-hmm. I read a new interview with her every week on Vulture, for example. Yeah. But um, and she was wonderful in that Totino's pizza roll sketch on SNL. Yes, she was perfect. And that is some lesbian content, <laughs> where she ends up making out with it's Vanessa Bayer, correct? Mm-hmm. By the way, let's find more stuff of Vanessa Bayer to do. It's on my mind a lot. Yes, SNL actress of the decade. How about it? <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking recently about how I kind of have fallen out of love with Kate McKinnon. This is my. Uh, Why? What happened? I don't know. You is saw it her like, tepid movie acting? Is it because you saw Bombshell? I have yeah. not seen it yet. She is bonkers in that movie. Mm-hmm. I saw her in the preview, and it, it didn't feel like a true representation of Fox News. So. I was like, yeah. where did this character from Ghostbusters stumble in? <laughs> yeah. It's it's that feeling like you've seen all of somebody's tricks or something. Mm-hmm. She is hilarious, and she always she plays people who are legitimately gross, mm-hmm. which I find attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want my actresses to be like Julia Roberts, you know? I want them to have... Moves you've never seen. Mm-hmm, right. Um, so while I love her and I'm happy she got the two Emmys, I wonder, like, what can we do next? But anyway, Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always a fan. Um, she should win an Emmy for Charlie's Angels. An Emmy? Yeah, yeah. That, that made-for-TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> that really was a baffling casting move. As much as you like yeah. her, do you think of her as a kind of, I don't know, Alicia Vikander-like person? No. Mm. No. Who, by the way, is an action hero, in case everybody forgot. And no shade, but so many of the reviews for the film said, Kristen Stewart is actually really funny in this movie. And if Kristen Stewart is the funniest part of a movie, do I need to be seeing it? Correct. Yeah. Is it a comedy? Also, I'm generally not tickled by her type of comedy, like the kind of deadpan, Aubrey Plaza sort of. I'm not a big fan. Her affect kind of puts me off from her. I was not a fan of Aubrey Plaza, really, until... Ingrid Goes West, a movie that I would say is a three-star movie. It could have been excellent, but the ending goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. But there's, yeah, there's a time and a place for deadpan humor, and, you know, that it, it's a good arrow to have in your quiver. If it's your whole thing, maybe we get tired of it. Oh, once the gun got fired, I was all in for <laughs> Ingrid Goes West. Yeah. You, you know I love rails, and yeah. I love jumping over them. <laughs> that movie definitely did that. I don't want to spend an entire hour, obviously, bashing Kristen Stewart, because as we've mm-hmm. established, we do like her. Uh, I would just say that the HCA, their decision to name someone actress of the decade based on how many films they were in in the decade is very weird. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just not an important marker in any way. At all. And like Eric Roberts has been in something like 4,000 movies this decade. Right. Because he um, shows up. And it also just makes me question what the use of the HCA is then. Mm -hmm. If you weren't critically thinking about this award that you've given out, why did you do it? Yeah. Did, are, are you the HFPA now? You just named Kristen Stewart so she would show up to your little ceremony? It reminds me of the Billboard Awards when they're like, well, uh, what's gonna, here are the nominees for single of the year or whatever, and then they just give it to the one that sold the most. It's like, well, then that, that doesn't even need an award, actually. Mm-mm. They knew they won. You could have mailed it to them. Yes, right. Yeah. We and can it, all read a Wikipedia about sales. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the award is silly, and I think the reasoning behind the award is silly. And again, what's your pick? If you oh, if I had to pick somebody, well, it's interesting. If I'm coming at it just from the perspective of an actress who defines the decade the most, this seems a little odd because she's taken off time recently. But wouldn't you say Jennifer Lawrence, in terms of sheer attention paid to her and the amount of accolades she's gotten? Like she set the record for most Academy Award nominations before the age of thirty. Winter's Bone, very much a defining performance of the decade. One for Silver Linings Playbook. I think she fell off halfway through the decade, though. But I mean, both. I think I think the yeah. one-two punch of Joy and American Hustle were just sort of like, eh. American Hustle really is a movie I don't want to see again. I think I've already referred to it on this show as like uh, everybody's a different guess who character in that yes. movie. Uh, Do you I, have a pick, Ira? I th- well, I would say I think that she needs to. You got to finish the decade out. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. all right, Melissa McCarthy, maybe I don't mm-hmm. know. I I would maybe say Viola because sure. I feel like she. Gave us doubt early on, and then that's last decade. Is it last decade? Yeah, is, is it? that two thousand nine? Two thousand and eight. Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. I will say that she was the help. Twenty eleven. Yep. Yes. Uh, she started yeah. out the decade hot, and also the transition to TV was twofold. One, it was to give her good fucking acting roles because she was a black woman who couldn't get them in film, and how to get away with murder mm-hmm. that led her to being recognized more for film, people are like, oh, right, Viola Davis is fucking great. Let's cast her in more things. Also, I think her being in How to Get Away with Murder and getting the accolades that she did from it was part of the wave of film actors jumping to TV in the last half of the decade. True. Yeah, it was sort of emblematic, I think. I also weirdly think her Oscar win is maligned in retrospect because people think it was category fraud Mm -hmm. that she won for Fences because she simply had the most lines. When, in fact... It is a towering performance, and I just want to say, I want to see more movies like that that are just plays unpretentiously presented. I enjoyed Mm -hmm. that a lot. I think she did what she had to do. Mm -hmm. I think that she broke the rules. I think she made her own rules, and I think that she owned the decade. Very good. Aida? That's fair. I was going to say Viola Davis. Oh, yeah. I think I would have chosen her. I mean, I'm just so strongly connected to her as an actress because I didn't see any... To me, she was like the first black woman that I was like, "Uh uh-oh, you can be a black woman on, on in movies and in film and in on television and be un, unabashedly yourself. I had never seen that. So I, I would pick Viola Davis. She also has a quality I need in really great actresses, which is the speech making. My yes, God, no monologuing. one She is speech team. With a tear and some she, snot. She loves yes. speech. <laughs> yeah. No, she's the points are lined up. I can you almost see her reading the PowerPoint in her mind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she loves revisiting her childhood in an emotional way during a speech. Mm-hmm. Truly, I mean, she's like a politician. And yeah. her arms. Oh yeah, that's it. She should have won the award just for that. 
shoulders and arms. Love me some Viola, now yeah. that you mention it. No, of course I love her. She's like one of the defining actresses yeah. ever. Yeah. All right. When we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Hello, hello. It's time. You are you are giddy. You are wacky races giddy. I want to see <laughs> uh, how this Keep It plays with the room. I'm not sure. Okay. It's, so, is it to black people? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to start with my Keep It to you. Yes. Um, my Keep It this week is to low-rise jeans, which are allegedly coming back according to an article on The Cut. Um, here's the thing. First of all, I feel like they were in too recently. I think of uh, low-rise jeans as belonging to the early 2000s and mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. So I feel we need to still be coming back to 1995 and not 2000 if we're going to be regurgitating style. Second of all, I remember high school very vividly. And I remember all my girlfriends in drama club with me, and they all had to wear low-rise jeans. That was the only jean I ever saw during the entire time I was in high school. The amount of times my girlfriends were getting into minivans, because that's how we were driven around, of course. And you just, unfortunately, or I don't know, fortunately, had to see their whole ass every time they did anything. Because the way low-rise jeans, maybe it's cheap low-rise jeans or something that do this, move on the ass wrong. So you end up routinely just seeing entire asses on accident. Now, again, I want people to celebrate their own bodies, but I want them to do it with intentional rad fashion as opposed to accidentally bad fashion. Wow. I am cackling only because (laughs) I've started to realize you have a lot of fashion opinions for someone who I would not describe as a fashionista. I would maybe give you the title of Maxinista. Oh, my God. Well, okay. Shall I just burst into tears right here? (laughs) (laughs) You're not saying this Carol King shirt qualifies for Milan or whatever? Yes. I I mean, we know you love a high-waisted pant, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, You always seem like you're Sutton Foster about to do a rendition of Anything Goes. (laughs) I will say, I feel like most somewhat dubious fashion trends occur... Because they look amazing on one celebrity. Yeah. Like when I think of very high waisted jeans, that's because of Julia Roberts, period. Mm-hmm. You know, that woman existed and jeans were, you know, like five and a half feet tall for a long mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Low rise jeans, I definitely associate with Cameron Diaz. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of Charlie's Angels and it's that particular wayfish with a specifically super small midriff yeah. that mm-hmm. goes in like uh, two halves of a circle. Um, I will also posit that a lot of those fashion choices that you do see on celebrities, red carpets or in photos, you never see them being functional. We've never seen Cameron Diaz climb into a minivan. That's what I'm saying. Right. That's true. And you can wear it, but it it might need to have like a cute like G string. Remember when those are in? Mm -hmm. Remember when the G string was out and like proud? That might be the move. And you have to have such a, a particular body shape, like you were saying. Like a thick girl cannot. A whole, it'll be a whole muffin top factory. You need the apple bottoms to come back. Exactly, yes. And the boots with the fur. Oh my God. (laughs) I want to also say that in the early 2000s, it really felt like that was the only gene that existed. Whereas now, maybe because all fashion is sort of in all the time, it won't be as problematic. And like people who don't have that body type won't be obligated to wear it, Mm -hmm. you know? 
but it's just on my mind. It was such a – like people forget that when you watched American Idol during the first couple seasons, everyone wore bare midriffs with low-rise jeans. Yeah. Kelly Clarkson wore that. Yeah. I mean think of that as pertaining to her brand now. It makes no sense. But I, I want to give a shout-out to our goddess, Ryan Starr, from season one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is your keep it this week? Well, my keep it is for all of the witches doing alternative medicine that are trying to keep me ill. Because oh. usually I'm someone, I get sick really frequently because I need to get these tonsils out. They've been in me. I feel like a five-year-old, but I keep getting tonsillitis. And every time I go anywhere, they're like, well, honey, you need an oil of oregano. You need an echinacea. You need an elder b- bow- flower berry, fl- whatever the hell. And it's, oh, it's never worked for me. It has never worked. And I'm in Whole Foods, and I'm looking for things, and I can't find the things I need. It's a wellness formula. It's all this bullshit. And they're like, stop taking real meds. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, can Candle flavors aren't medicine. It's not a thing. Or like they'll t- gummies. I'm a grown woman. I'm not going to take a gummy that does not work. It does not work for me. Do you know why I'm here today? This is Dayquil. This is Tylenol. This is every th- like real chemical that I could cram into my body. But you know, until Jeff Bezos figures out how to make alternative medication work, I am homeophobic. <laughs> <laughs> Homeo, don't play that. No. (laughs) No. So, yeah, that's it. Keep it to your medications that don't work, your plants and your herbs. I guess I am a child of Martin Shkreli until this figures itself out. You're not into haunted fruit snacks or whatever. It's supposed to solve (laughs) your appendix situation. I want it to work for me. I really do. But they never do. They never, ever do. Mm. So I'm going to keep crushing up ibuprofen and snorting it in lines at parties. It's a fun trick. Beautiful. Yeah. What's your keep it, Ira? My keep it this week, get the Megan McCain off the TV. No joke. <laughs> I'm not watching that. Yeah. I get it. It is fun to have a viral moment each week where someone tells Megan McCain to shut the fuck up <laughs> because she never shuts up. And this week, as she's going on and on about impeachment and talking over Sonny Hostin as she is wont to do this week, Whoopi Goldberg finally just said to her, girl, can you stop talking? <laughs> and then she does her petulant like, mm, well, I'm just, I'm just going to not say anything. And Whoopi's like, I'm okay with that. And it's, <laughs> are we going to get to the point where Whoopi just has to punch this woman in the face? <laughs> and it's a far reach across the table. So that'll be a long right? denim armed punch. As Brooke Valentine said, it's about to be a what? A girl fight. <laughs> uh, I get that it's ratings. I get that we enjoy dissecting it. Like, Twitter goes up every time Megan McCain gets shut down, right? But, girl, aren't you embarrassed? Mm-hmm. Aren't you tired? Aren't you able to curl up with your husband's Federalist money that comes from some evil billionaire? We don't know who it is. Who funds the Federalists? I don't know. But whoever it does probably gives your household enough money for you to just walk your little ass off of ABC and never come back. You know what's interesting, though, is she's not embarrassed because it's that weird Republican thing of when you come at them with anything, an argument or 
you're upset or whatever, then they get to be kind of a martyr Mm -hmm. and then they get to be aggrieved and then use it again later in some fashion. So in a way, I feel like even though she was ostensibly shut up on the air, it's only fuel for the future. Yeah. I think that like conservative people find solace in the fact that they're like, well, there's no majority conservative voice in Hollywood. So of course I'm going to get shut down, even though she is wrong. She is wrong, but she still can go home and be like, well, it's Hollywood. Like, that's, they're all liberal. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> go hang out with John Voight. It is one of those weird things, though, where it happens, what, once a week now or it something? It happens once yeah. a week. I feel like it was just last week where Sonny had to drag her about something. It was mm-hmm. the week before that where Joy Behar did it. They're, they're taking turns like they're in a fucking martial arts movie. What was the uh, Joy Behar thing? She said something like, uh, Oh, about the Electoral College. Yes. She shut her down at the last minute. Yeah, moment. she right. was like, which were created to keep slaves. We'll, we'll be, right. be back back. <laughs> that was pretty sweet. It was also lovely when Whoopi this week was like, if you're going to behave like that, it is interesting because it isn't even like Rosie versus Hasselbeck, right? Because those were two people who were completely bonkers in the moment. Like, R- Rosie was letting Elizabeth unspool her, and they just seemed wild going back and forth with each other. I would compare this to the um, put it in a fucking New York Post moment when Mm -hmm. Barbara uh, chastised Hasselbeck because this feels like Megan is getting chastised every week, like she's a child. Right, right, right. But I do love Whoopi turning straight into a headmistress because you know I miss the all business Whoopi of soap dish. (laughs) We do not get to see that often. Yes. Uh, well, I can't wait until Megan doesn't have a fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, what's Carrie Fisher's name in that movie? Betsy Faye Sharon, the craziest movie name ever. Love that movie. Mm-hmm. Iconic. Iconic. Kevin Klein. Please. Uh, we're talking about Kumail. Stud. Kevin could Klein me. Kevin Klein, three Tonys. Yes. And Whoopi won for Thoroughly Modern Millie. That is correct. As a producer. E gotcha. Yeah. Uh, weirdly... Sally doesn't have any from Soap Dish. Sally Field has none. She's a nominee for the Glass Menagerie. Right. Yeah. Sally, get back on that damn stage. Come on. Yeah. Sally Field, get on the stage. I, I am watching that. <laughs> I want to watch that. <laughs> uh, that's our show. Thanks again to Travel Anderson for joining us. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess, the one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. 
Just you wait. Auto Trader.